bustle of the, the Christmas time in the year. Now it's usually it's winding down now. We've come to a, a close, but now we begin to switch our attention to the new year, right? And, um, you know, New Year, this, this season, this time is a time of uh, planning and a time of reflecting where we think about our, our goals. Uh, in this case, in 2020, we're entering a whole new decade, right? So it even bears a greater level of significance um, as we just kind of think about, man, what has happened over this past 10 years? Think about where you were 10 years ago. Uh, a lot has changed, right? Uh, and a, a lot changes, but I, you know, I believe that laughter is good medicine. So I want to start on, on a funny note. Uh, I found a couple of New Year's uh, resolution sayings on the internet, and I wanted to share them with you. Uh, the first one uh, says, "It says my New Year's resolution is to break my New Year's resolutions. That way, I succeed at something." <laughs> Have you ever felt like that? You make promises to yourself, and, and then it just goes by, and you're like, oh, I didn't, didn't keep that one. I'll go to the next one. At the beginning of this year, I made it a New Year's resolution to lose 10 pounds. Only 15 more to go. <laughs> I thought that was funny. Okay, go to the next one. I was going to quit all my bad habits for the new year, but then I remembered that nobody likes a quitter. My resolution was to read more. So I put subtitles on my TV. <laughs> uh, and the last, the last one is, I love when they drop the ball in Times Square. It reminds me of what I did all year long. Now, that's none of us because we had a year of excellence, right? So I know none of you guys ever dropped the ball and you hit, hit all your, your goals that you uh, set out for this, uh, this past year. But as we uh, focus on this new year, I, the message I wanted to preach today is entitled this. It's, it's, it's titled, Finish Strong. Yeah. Say, Finish Strong. Okay, now, let, let me pray over us. Lord, today, God, we open up our ears and our hearts to you, God. Father, as we reflect on this time gone by, God, on this, this past year, on this past decade, Lord, we are grateful for everything you've done in our lives. God, we're thankful for the people we've met, for the situations we've been through. God, we even thank you for the trials. We thank you for the good times and the bad times, God. But Lord, as we begin to press forward into this new year, this new season of our life, God, I pray just new strength, Lord, today, God. And, and today, Lord, as the, the, your word goes forth, Lord, may it touch people's hearts, may it uplift them and encourage them in the name of Jesus. And everyone said... Amen. Amen. Now, the reality is this. When you really think about it, New Year's Eve or New Year's Day, um, really there's nothing different about that day than any other day of the year, right? So we, we celebrate this as the beginning of one thing and the beginning of the other, but um, what really makes it different? I mean, the sun comes up like normal, everything really other than being off work. Uh, and celebrating with family, it's really nothing is different from uh, when you cross over into a new year or a, a new decade. But have you ever stopped to think about why this is and why we as human beings tend to put such parameters on things and, and why we have this need to uh, both plan and reflect? You see, the truth is, as human beings, we have this innate instinct to measure things because it helps give us perspective of where we're going and where we've been, 
right? And from the very beginning, when you, if you know your Bible and you've read your Bible, as all of us have, you know from the very beginning, Genesis 1, that God himself, uh, he put these, although he's eternal, he's the one who implemented uh, these things called seasons. And he puts the sun in the sky and the uh, moon by night, he says, for the counting of seasons. You remember that part of the, the Bible? And he put the hev- all the heavens and all the stars for the marking of seasons and days and years. So in fact, the measuring of time itself was God's idea. Now, I used to think of it like that God, this infinite being, was outside of time. But I've since kind of changed in my thinking to think it's not so much that uh, God is outside of time, but that time is inside God. I know we kind of, I'm kind of getting theological here for a, a second. But God, the Bible describes God as the Alpha and the Omega. So he's using Greek letters. It's the beginning and the end. The Bible also calls him the ancient of days. So time itself is just a section of God's limitless and infiniteness. So time is a construct out of God. You following me? So why did God create time for human beings? Why has he put this construct? See, you and I have a starting point but we have no ending point because you are literally the breath of God breathed into being. So much like a geometric array, God is an infinite timeline, but we are a ray. We have a, a point of origin, but because we have the breath of God and we are a living soul, we will keep living and existing into all eternity, either in eternal life or eternal death. But the question remains this, why did God create humans with this need to observe and measure in such detail? Have you ever thought about it? Why, why, why create time? The answer is this, that time is a gift from God and it's because it's how we as limited beings measure progress. And God has commanded us in all things to grow to be like him, right? He says, be holy as I am holy. So because we're a created being and we have an origin, we have an, an, an existence at one point in time, but every day we are to become more and more like God. And as we become more and more like God, he gets the glory. So time in itself then allows us as human beings to grow to become like God, to give him glory. Even the angels in all of heaven are not eternal beings, but created beings. So they circle around his throne and they say, holy, 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 right? Well, that seems boring. I don't want to sing holy, holy, holy. I don't even want to sing it for 30 minutes let alone eternity. But the truth is, is the angels are always flying around God's throne, always seeing something new, always learning something new, always growing to be uh, more and more like him. And so we as created beings become more and more like him. And we, and through that, we're able to give God more and more glory. See, God in his, uh, and we're about to switch over out of the kind of theology, but God out of his infiniteness, and he has no beginning and end, but 
He's circular in the sense that every ending is a new beginning for God. And every ending for you when you are in the Lord is also a new beginning. And so he has put these things in nature itself to symbolize the, just the process we, we go through. But um, although the beginning and end of a thing are often exciting, right? It's exciting when you start a new thing, when you learn a new hobby, when it's a new season, when you start a new job. It's fun, right? You meet new people. You know, maybe you're traveling new places. And the end of a thing, we also reflect and, you know, we get sentimental, you know. But I think one of the hardest and most challenging areas is not the beginning and it's not the end. It's actually the middle. It's the middle where we often um, can get stuck. We often lose our way somehow. And sometimes it seems like in the middle of life or in the middle of things, we kind of can't see the finish line, right? Because hardships and things of life can tend to wear us down. Let's read, let's read this in, in Hebrews 12. See, the Bible uses, can you see that? The Bible uses many metaphors for, for life on earth. And one of these metaphors that Paul uses is that of a race, and specifically a marathon. Have any of you ever run a marathon? No. We have two. We have two. How long is a marathon? 26 miles. Now, did you just wake up one day and be like, I'm going to run a marathon today? <laughs> if you did that, man, I give you major props. But no, if you, wanna, if you want to run a marathon, you're going to plan for weeks and months to get your body in shape, and you're going to plan ahead to, um, you even have to, a lot of times, bring snacks with you. I know people, they have like certain running injury because your body needs fuel to run that far. So uh, Paul is using this metaphor uh, for life, and he says this. In, in Hebrews 12:1, you can read with me. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with what? Perseverance. Say it again. Perseverance. The race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning his shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So Paul's using this metaphor that the, the people would understand because they were very familiar with the Olympics and, and with marathons. And he's, he's using this metaphor like the people in a stadium. He's saying you're surrounded by this huge cloud of witnesses. It means all, all the people who have ever gone before you, all the saints, are in the heavenly realms. All of the angels are watching and cheering you on in this race called life. And, and the thing is, this race can get very long and tough at times. It's not a sprint. If you try to sprint, you're going to run out of strength and you're going to run out of energy. So Paul is saying, when you're running these long races, you have to remove the things that are going to weigh you down. Specifically here, he, he mentions the, the sin that can trip you up and cause you to um, lose the race. But then he says, but keep your eyes on Jesus. 
Because Jesus has already gone before us and has already won the race for us. So we're to keep our eyes on him. But time is a funny thing. See, time itself is one of the greatest uh, tests and proofs of faith because it's an equalizer of all things. See, you may be young, but you will be old. You may have health, but you will experience sickness. Things may be good in your life, but there will be hard times and, and hard seasons of your life. See, time seems to go fast when you want it to go slow and slow when you want it to go fast, right? Uh, it waits for no man and answers only to God. It eventually reveals all that is hidden and is both the refiner and proof of your faith. See, think about this. The Bible says it is impossible to please God without faith. It's impossible to please God without faith. Faith. Yet without the passing of time, faith cannot be established, nor is it needed. Because if you instantly have everything, you have no need for faith. But if time has passed, then your faith is, is tested. And it's in the middle of a thing that requires the most faith and that God is refining us. So by the passing of time, when we go through things and we don't experience what we expect, but yet we have faith, we please and we glorify God. Now, uh, I, I want to I help you understand, I forgot to have them uh, change this PowerPoint. I wanted it to show a piece at a time, but it's going to show the whole thing. First of all, I'm going to warn you, uh, only pastors and doctors can alliterate this much. But this is the evolution of a prayer. I want to just focus on one at a time with me. I wanted it to show one at a time. But see, when we pray, the reason we, we pray or we seek God, it often comes from a need in our life. Whether it's a problem or experiencing some sort of pain or some sort of absence, we often pray out of need. So we, we, we come to our, our heavenly Father because of a pain or a problem or a need, and, and then we seek him in prayer. The Bible says he, that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So when we have needs, it's not, it's not that God doesn't want us to come to him. He's a good dad. He wants us to come to him and ask for things. He's not bothered by you asking for things, but he wants a relationship more than just giving you things. And in this asking, seeking stage, what happens is that usually God will speak. Now, he may speak through a dream. He may speak through the, uh, the pastor. He may speak through a prophetic word. Uh, most often, he speaks through the word of God. That's why you need to read the word of God daily for yourself because it's like your personal cell phone uh, connection to the Father and to the Holy Spirit. So as you seek the Lord in a quiet place, as you petition him, he will give you a promise. And so uh, if, if it's about prosperity, you know, you're believing the Lord for breakthrough in your finances, you're praying about it, then you find a promise in his word or a promise through a prophetic word and you begin to hold on to it. See, all of this is, is the seeking stage uh, of, of a prayer. So it starts with a problem or a pain. You pray and then God gives you a promise. 
But then it gets into a, a little bit different. Uh, of, then you go into, often go into what's a season of waiting and a season of, of testing. And, and this next phase is called a, a period or a process. Because uh, most of the time, God's promise does not come true right away. Why? Because I said it's the passing of time that proves your faith. It's the passing of time that brings glory to God as your faith is tested. So a period of time passes, and in this, in this period of time, God is developing you and testing you. See, every word of God is a seed. Every promise of God is a seed. And the seed has to be planted, it has to be watered and cared for to grow into full maturation in your life. Did you know sometimes the level that you allow the seed to be processed will determine the result you get of your prayer? Because you have to work the promise of what God gives you in, in every season. And, and the, the soil is, as the word of God is, says, is your heart. So the, the time, passed, time passes in this period where we have prayed and we, we have this promise, and yet we do not see the fruition of the promise. And, and this can be a very frustrating or hard uh, time in our lives. Um, we, we receive the promise, and then have you ever, it just kind of drags on. And a day turns into a week, and a week turns into a year, and a year turns into three years. And God, we planted ASAT Church a long time ago. Why is it not full? This is the way it works. This is God's process. It happens with everything in our lives. God, you said I would be married by now. God, I want children. I've been praying for children. Why have I not seen, seen this in, in my life yet? And time can pass, and it can, we can just get dragged down. And it's in this stage that we encounter um, a thing called the friction of life. Okay, now we'll go back to this in a minute, but um, you guys know what friction is from, from science, but here's the definition. Friction is the resistance that one surface or object encounters when moving against another. It's the force that resists relative motion. So it's the force that comes to try to stop you or stop anybody in this life from, from moving forward. And here's the reality. Here's the truth. You can show the next slide. Both the Bible and firsthand experience make this one thing, what a small, very clear, is that in life you are going to experience hardships and troubles, period. Whether by the hand of the enemy or the result of the fall and the curse, or the testing of God, you're going to have difficult times. And the friction and adversity of life will attempt to stop you and weigh you down, as it said in Hebrews. So you're running through life, and eventually the friction just from running and the energy begins to wear you down. Even Jesus himself said this in John 16, 33. He says, in this world you will have Oh, yeah, man, that's a great verse to memorize. So encouraging. So encouraging. But take heart, for I have overcome the world. So what does it mean to take heart? 
It means get a hold, grab hold of your emotions, grab strength from your inner man, and encourage yourself. Because if Jesus has finished the race and overcome the world, he's already won the race for us. You just have to keep going and make it through the finish line. See, this, this race called life is a long, it's long, and the friction of life will attempt to slow you down. Over the course of time, it's natural that your passion will wane, your energy will dissipate, and we often grow weary and tired. Have you ever just felt like, I'm just worn out? I'm worn out emotionally. Maybe I, I'm worn out in my faith. This is a natural process. The, the scripture says this. It says that uh, Isaiah 40, 30, even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. This means that it doesn't matter your age. It doesn't matter your, your physical fitness level. It doesn't matter whether you're a teenager in here and you have all the energy in the world, or you're 80-something and you've lived a long life and you're tired because you had kids, because kids will make you tired. They will bring gray hair and they will make you tired. But all people will feel weary. All people will feel tired when you do it in yourself. When I do it in myself. See, we were not uh, made to function in this life alone. But the secret comes from relying on the very uh, source of strength that is God himself. You see, the enemy knows as a Christian, which we're, I think all of us are Christians, he can't stop you. He already knows. The only way he can stop you is to lie to you to convince you to stop running. The only way he can stop you is if he can tell you something where you give up and stop running the race. In other words, the enemy of your soul comes to wear you out. It says in Daniel and in Revelation that, that uh, the beast and, and the Satan came to wear the saints out. So to get them so tired that they just wanted to, to give up. And the truth is this, often the greater your calling, the greater your destiny, the more he will try to throw on you, to weigh you down, and to stop you, to convince you to give up. Okay? Nam, can you come up for a second? We're going to do this on stage. Yeah, I need help too. Uh, we're going to do this on stage so the camera can see. But I, I want to give you a, a simple illustration now. This guy is a uh, perfect specimen of physical fitness. Yeah. Show your bicep. Okay. Now, you said you ran a marathon earlier, so that, that's even perfect, right? Okay, do some jumping jacks. Do, show, show us your agility, yeah. How many? Uh, can you do 20? Four, five, six, we'll do seven. Seven. Oh, I meant 10. Eight, nine, 10. Okay, all right, you get the point. So do you work out? Okay, so, so you're, you're pretty physically fit and so forth. And so when you, when you uh, um, went to run a marathon, you trained, and I'm sure you, you run regularly. And uh, how much do you think you could run right now? Mm, you can stay by. 
four to five miles. Okay, all right. Well, so, so what happens is throughout life, you know, we go through things and, you know, we're good soldiers in the Lord's army, right? So we're just running this race and, you know, on, on a regular day and regular time, you know, we, we have the word of God. We have our brothers and sisters in church and life. But, you know, after a while, sometimes life happens, right? And so things can happen that begin to weigh us down. It's called friction. So let's put the backpack on up. So we got this big command. Don't buckle them in. Don't help them at all. So a while ago, you weren't breaking a sweat, right? You weren't breaking a sweat doing 10 jumping jacks. Okay, let's let's see you do jumping jacks some more. How many? Oh, 10. You help them count. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10. Was that a little harder? I've never been this heavy before. He said, I've never been this heavy before. It was harder, wasn't it? It was a little. I think the lights are getting hot, too. Yeah, they are. But you're, you're breathing a little bit harder. But, you know, it's, it's not too bad. You know, so uh, life in itself, you know, we go through the ups and downs of life. And, you know, it, we can make it through. You know, we, we have the strength to get through. But then sometimes we go through these seasons where the devil begins to uh, test us and come at us. And it's like the friction intensifies. No, leave it on. No, no, you don't get to take your burden off. Only God can do that. So, so we're going through life. Keep doing some more jumping. Do 10 more jumping jacks. Yeah. We're just going through our day, yada, yada. You know, everything is going six, seven, eight, nine, ten, right? So everything is normal, and then one day we walk into work, and the company says they're downsizing. And they call you in, and you know because you're going to that special office that you never go to. And these people are in this meeting, and they got a tape recorder going because they're going to tape record. That's what they do. And they say, I'm sorry, Nan, we're going to have to let you go. You've been there for 10 years, and you're thinking, I, I, but I've, I've, I've been such a good employee there and say, I'm sorry, we, we just, we didn't have enough money. And so what the devil does is he adds a little bit more weight to your life. Let's see. Let's, let's add some. Let's just do one at a time. Give him one. Give him one. Let's just have him hold it. Okay, we'll, we'll do that first. Put him in a backpack. We'll make it. Okay. So now you lost your job and, you know, you're, you have a family and you're trying to figure out how to make ends meet. It's stressful. I've been there. I, I understand it's stressful. But you're trying to hold it together for your family. Do 10 more jumping jacks. Three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Is it getting harder? It feels so weird. It feels so weird. It's, it's, it's harder. So, so you're going through life, and, and you've lost your jobs, and you begin to encounter your, your finances, your savings runs out, because you thought you were able to get the next job, but then suddenly it's like no one's hiring. And it's like everywhere you place your resume, no doors will open, and you're praying, God, why? I'm faithful. I'm a tither. You're supposed to open the windows of heaven for me and pour out a blessing. The scripture we say every Sunday when we give tithes, Right? But it's like the windows are closed. And God's voice is silent. <sighs> and so your finances fall completely apart. Your, your savings runs out. 
and you really you don't you don't know how you're going to pay your mortgage you're late on your mortgage and things start piling up and you feel like you're choking with anxiety because you don't want your family to be on the street keep going two three four five six seven eight nine ten do some push-ups Let's see if you can do three. One, two, five. Three, two more. Four, five. Okay, you're good. Stand up. See, now he's doing really well. But it's getting harder and harder. And then you're going through all these financial problems. And you're like, God, you know, when is this going to end? And then your, your, your little sweet baby girl, the one you prayed God for, she becomes seriously sick. And the doctors tell you, you know, your baby girl has cancer. And you're like, but Lord, I don't have insurance. How is it that the very child I prayed for and believed for, and God, why is there so much on me? Why, why am I going through all of this? And now I'm having to fight for my finances and fight for my, my, my family. And it's more ways out. Let's, let's let him hold this one. Let him hold that one. Yeah, we can do it. Let him hold it. Yeah. Let him, let him, oh, there's more? Give him, give him one to hold. Okay. Is this the last uh, friction? Give him one to hold. Okay, do, do some more jumping jacks. Is there more in there? No, that's it. Okay, so do, do some more jumping jacks. Let's do 10 more. Five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Give him, let him hold one of the other ones. And so, so then your, your baby girl is sick and you're like, now the medical bills and I don't know how I'm going to do this. And before long, as often happens, and it happens in Job's case, then sometimes your friends are not there for you. The very ones that you were, were, were with in their time of trouble, suddenly they're nowhere to be found. Suddenly you feel all alone in the world. And sometimes it's even the ones who are talking about you. But you try to hold your head together. Keep, give me 10 more. 10 more. 10 more. Or push-ups. Four more. Eight, nine, 10. All right, give it up for him. Give him an applause. Man, you are physically fit. You can, you can, be, you can be seated. I needed to choose someone not as strong, man. But the, you get the point. Life gets harder and harder and harder as life sometimes seems to press down on us. And all these things happen. And we're thinking, God, where are your promises? Have you forsaken me? Why is it that the righteous seem to be forsaken? Why is it that sometimes that the people who are not following you, the ones who are not tithing, they're being successful, the ones who are not in church, the ones who have not dedicated their life, God, how come they have it easy? And I'm sitting there, I'm huffing and I'm puffing and, I'm, and I can't get a break. See, the devil will try to wear you out. He'll, he'll try to take you through these stages of emotional distress. First, he's going to get you weary. 
He's going to get you uh, out of breath. He's going to try to knock you off of your, your stance, your, your faith stance, because you, you were ready, but then life began to whack you and hit you over, and you're feeling disoriented. And so it moves from now not only weariness, not, not, not only am I tired, but now I'm becoming disillusioned and disappointed because this word that I had, this promise that I had, it's now been five years. And I still haven't seen the answer. So is this God thing real? Is it really worth it to have faith? And what can happen is you can grow into bitterness. Have you ever been to a place where you're just lacking hope? See, as long as you have hope, you can keep going. But when you run out of hope, the world becomes gray. There's many people without hope today. And you then move into this state of being indifferent or apathetic. See, even as Christians, the seasons and the weight of life can wear us down. We lose heart. We lose our passion. We lose our first love. And sometimes, even as you recover, you never recover to the full passion that you had in the beginning. Sometimes your marriage never recovered to the full passion or intimacy because life has knocked you down. Seasons have knocked you down. And the devil's ultimate goal in the final stage is to get you in disbelief or unbelief. Why? Because if you're in unbelief, the Bible says you cannot receive anything from God. So then the very thing you're praying for can't happen because he's nullified your faith and you've given up. This is why you need the Bible, or this is why the Bible calls the, the Holy Spirit the oil. This is why you need the oil of the Holy Spirit in your life. Because the only answer to friction is oil. Think about this. This is why you change the oil in your car. Because the engine of a car is under great pressure and great heat. So you have to change the oil of the car every 3,000 or whatever miles so that you keep the, the engine running at perfect performance. And this is why your body has built-in lubrication systems because the friction on your, your bones, the friction on your muscles, and your, it needs lubrication in order to move. And when you have the oil of the spirit, every plan, every attack, Every curse, every word the enemy speaks over your life just kind of slides right off of you. But it's your job to, to uh, seek out and stir up that oil in you daily. In the Old Testament, the priests were not allowed to let the fire that was in the temple go out. They had to daily make sure that it had oil. Well, in the New Testament, we see that you are the temple of God. We are the temple of God. So it's our responsibility to stir up the gift of God in us daily. And as priests, we are to not let the oil of the Holy Spirit go out inside our temple. Right? So go back to the, go back to the uh, process, the, the prayer, the evolution of a prayer. So then we get into um, this, this stage, the next stage, which um, 
is, in, or I'm sorry, in the waiting stage during this period, God is producing his character inside of us. God is working inside of us the very qualities that it takes to uh, endure and persevere and patience. It's this process that God is tilling the ground of our hearts, which the Bible calls the wellspring of life, and he's pruning us for greater fruitfulness. With God, it's always less about the destination and it's more about the process as us as children, children understanding who he is and his character and becoming more and more like him and growing more and more like him as we grow from glory to glory. See, he's, it's in this process that he's enlarging your territory, the territory of your soul realm and of your spirit realm, so that you can inherit the very thing you're praying for. So it's like the, the prayer of Jab Jabez, if you know that. Jabez said, Lord, enlarge my territory. So uh, oftentimes when you pray a prayer because of a pain or problem in your life, God gives you a promise and starts a process in your life. I know there's a lot of peace. It starts a process in your life so that you can inherit the very thing you're praying for. Because a lot of times you can't handle it yet. See, the Bible says this. It says that God will not put more on you than you can handle. Now, we think of that in a negative way, but it's the same thing uh, in a positive way. In other words, not, God's not going to give you the money more than you can handle, more than you're responsible to, to steward in your life. But he's enlarging you through this breaking process, through this pruning process, so that more fruit can come. And God, and in this process, then we enter into this action stage where then we begin to possess our inheritance. Because now we've gone, gone through this process and, and we're fully grown so that we can inherit the good things that, that God has for us. See, um, in Romans 8, 28, it says this, and we sing about it too. It says, God works everything together for our good. So in this very process that we're going through where God is enlarging us, the very thing that works against us, the very thing that, that comes to stop us, the friction of life becomes twofold. You see, the very thing that comes to stop you can give you traction. The very, what comes to make you dull can also sharpen you. And what comes to grind you down can also produce fire. See, friction can go both ways. And so God uses the hard things in life to refine us, to make us better, and so that we can inherit what he has for us. And in Galatians 6, 9, it says, So let us not become weary in doing good. For the proper time, we will reap the harvest. What's that next word? If we do not give up, if we do not faint. So God's saying, all you have to do is keep running. All you have to do is keep believing. Don't stop believing. Don't stop running. And in due time and in due season, you're going to inherit everything that, that you're praying for. And, and, and get this, that's not the end. You don't just get what you're praying for, but God is always working at one better. See, his ultimate goal is that he then produces the very things in your life that become answers to other people's prayers. Because God in his omnipotence and his, in his omnipresence knowing everything, he wants you to become the fruit that produces more seeds that then become the answer to other people's prayers. This is how it works. Let's, let's take some examples in the Bible. We're going, and oh, and, and the whole thing, all of this, 
is to bring God glory. So he gets glory when there's a pain or problem because you seek him. He gets glory when you're seeking him because you're building the relationship. He gets glory when you hold on to the promise. He gets glory in, in the stage where he's developing you because you're becoming more like him. He gets glory when you're growing in perseverance and you're growing in patience because you're becoming more like him. And he gets glory at the fruition of the promise because then everyone sees and then you can bless other people. So it, it all is, is circular. Let me give you some biblical examples. Abraham. When you, when you think of this man, Abraham, Abraham um, was called by God and he went out on this journey and, and he just went to a place. He left his family and went to a place um, where he didn't even know. And he just began to walk. And uh, God had made a promise to Abraham that he was going to be uh, this, uh, this man and this father of all these nations. Yet the problem was God, I mean, that Abraham didn't have a child. So the problem was, well, first of all, God was trying to do something in the earth realm by establishing the nation of Israel so he could birth the Messiah and the promise. So he chooses this, this person, Abraham. But then we have the problem because Abraham doesn't have a child. And he begins to go through this, this painful process of years and years and years until he's, what, 100 years old? Until the child is, is born. And he goes through this process. And because of Abraham... We had the nation of Israel, and because of the nation of Israel, we're sitting here today, right? Or, or what about Joseph, who God retroactively outside of time begins to answer the prayer of the people? Because uh, before you ever go through a famine in your life, God already knows the exact season you're going to walk into. So before Israel was ever in a famine, he took this young man named Joseph, gave him a dream, and then led him into slavery, into captivity, into bondage. And thing after thing happens, and he's accused of sexual immorality, and he's thrown into prison. And and even when he uses his giftings for God, he's forgotten and time passes. But also that Joseph become, could become the king so he could save the nation of Israel in a time of famine. Or what about Moses? Moses, uh, it was the answer of the thank you. Yes, my, uh, my throat is very dry. M Moses was the answer to the outcry of a people in slavery. So God raises up a baby puts him in the palace and raises him. And then Moses grows up and is a murderer and is rejected by his people and his people continuously grumble against him. Yet because of Moses going through all of this, the people of God uh, enter the promised land. Or David. The people wanted a king so bad. They, they wanted to be like the other nations. And so God raises up a prophet, Samuel, to go and find this shepherd uh, boy named David. Um, and in, this, in the process, David then has to fight and conquer giants and many obstacles. And, and even after that, although he was celebrated by some, the very people he loved and cared about chased him. And so he had to end up going and living for many, many years uh, with his enemies and even pretending to be crazy. What happened to, I'm going to be the king of all Israel? And decades passed. See, this is the story of the Bible. This is the story of the saints going through difficult times. Or what about Jesus, who paid the ultimate price, who stepped out of heaven? Think about this. You're God of all the universe. You have everything. You step out of heaven 
to this little tiny planet called Earth to take on the frailty of humans, to be laughed at and scorned, called a fool, mocked, physically beaten, and he suffered. And have you thought about this, that he still has not seen the complete fulfillment of his promises? He's still waiting. But Jesus is the one who ran before us in this race called life. I'm going to go ahead and play a little music. We're getting ready to close. Uh, see, God is pleased by your faith. And there will, will come a time when everything will be made perfect. There will come a time where everything is revealed, everything is made plain, but it's in the midst, in the right smack in the middle of the pain, right smack in the middle of your questions and the trials that you personify the true heart of worship. Because we can all worship when things are going good, when we see clearly. But the real, the real worship is when you can worship in, hold on, let's yeah, bring it down, let's see. You can worship in faith when you don't see. We will always go through these times, but right now, you have the, you and I, we have the unique ability to give God a gift. Did you know you can give God a gift? What do you give a God who has everything? You give him the gift of your faith. You give him the gift of your trust. Have you trusted God with your life? If you're watching online, have, have you trusted God with your life? Have you asked him to be savior and Lord of your life? Have you bent your knee to him and said, God, you can have it all? Or if you've already done that, do you need to hand over some details? Are there areas of your life that you're really not actively walking in faith because life has beat you up? Life has worn you down, you're tired. What do you need to turn over to God today? That's my question for you. So in just a second, I wanna do something that's probably one of the most unorthodox uh, responses to a uh, sermon you will ever get. But you know, a lot of times it's the stuff that we don't see that we remember. And I have Peter right here. and I want everybody to take an Oreo. Man, this is some good church, we get Oreos? You're going to have an influx of new members next week off the line. Don't eat your Oreo yet. Hold on to it one second. I'm going to let you eat it in one second. Just hold on, hold on until everybody gets it. If you're home, just go into your pantry, get an Oreo. And I want to... Uh, take just three or four minutes and I want you to uh, find a place whether it's here at the altar or you want to sit in your chair whatever you do is fine but I want you to reflect I want you to really as we enter this new season and this new year I want you to reflect on those things in your life what is God doing in your life currently and what are the areas that you need to trust him see here's the truth I want you to meditate on with that Oreo and you can eat it the truth is is 
right in the middle. When you're right in the middle of life, you're right in the sweet spot. When you're right in the middle of hardships, you're right where God wants you to be. So taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see in the midst of trials that the Lord is good. Taste and see in the midst of unanswered prayer that the Lord is good, that he has everything for you today. And so just, I'm going to have them play a song. I want you to um, just find a place to pray for a few minutes. I want you to listen to this words, words of this song as you reflect. And you can eat your Oreo. But just take, take three or four minutes with the Lord.